good to be with you here this morning. And, uh, you know, I just want to start off saying that sometimes life is full of things, uh, full of challenges. And we're going to start just praying about the challenges that life often has with it. Uh, sometimes it's our own personal uh, discouragement for any number of reasons that we can be discouraged in life. Sometimes it is illness that affects us personally. Sometimes it is illness that affects a loved one, uh, friends, family members. Uh, sometimes it, it's just the illness of colds and flu. Sometimes it's the illness of, of cancers or other uh, diseases, life-threatening things. Uh, sometimes uh, the things that uh, affect us and weigh us down is our burden for uh, other folks who are struggling to overcome their sins or struggling to come to a place of repentance in their life. Uh, 
Uh, and, and you see it. I see it. We see it. We see the need that if they would just uh, turn to Jesus uh, and allow Jesus to be at work in their life, then they would. Uh, then there could be some significant life transformation that takes place. But sometimes people refuse to repent and refuse to change or refuse to uh, acknowledge, or they want Jesus plus all their sins. And uh, so we're we're burdened for those things. We're burdened with uh, the loss of family members, loved ones. Uh, we're burdened with. Uh, uh, our workplace, we're burdened with business. There, there are just so many different things that can be burdens this morning. And, and I want to bring our burdens before the Lord first thing this morning, right out of the gate. And, and I'm not thinking necessarily of anything personally in my sense. I'm just thinking of my many friends and the many things that go on. Uh, some of you carrying a lot of burden and, uh, um, so I want to pray. I want to pray for you this morning. Then we'll get into Luke chapter 9. So, Father, we just come before you first thing this morning, bearing to you our burdens. Lord, you know the burdens of heartbreak. Uh, you know the burdens of uh, loss. Uh, you know the burdens of uh, tumultuousness in, in the economy and, and how that affects our, our everything from our, our personal bank accounts to our businesses. Uh, Father, you know that the burdens that we have for loved ones who are uh, involved in things that are self-destructive and we're burdened for them and we share with them. And, and Lord, we pray that you bring them to their breaking point, not the breaking point that would lead them to something like suicide, but a breaking point where they would finally bend the knee to Jesus and allow you to transform them from inside out. Lord, you know the many burdens that are represented in a listening audience like this. We pray that you would encourage each one. We pray that you would give each one a a fresh uh, awareness of your spirit and work within them and for them and on their behalf. So we lift them to you today in the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray that as we open your word today, that you would encourage our hearts by your truth. And help us to walk more closely to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, as we jump into this, we have we have looked at Luke chapter 9, uh, the first section you can see, uh, the, the sending out of the 12. And we compared the sending of the 12 with the sending of the 84 over in chapter 10. We considered the perplexity, I'm just looking at the headings here, the perplexity of Herod, how he is perplexed by Jesus, wondering, is this John that I beheaded? Has he come back from the dead? Uh, we remember Jesus feeding the 5,000, and we've noted before numerous different times that this 5,000 is uh, more likely fifteen to 20,000 people that were fed with five loaves of bread and two small fishes, which... Uh, and I shared with you this little image that to me is has become my life image of just at least at this juncture to trust him. Uh, and some people say, why not the cross? Well, I, I get the cross. I, I understand the cross. Uh, I understand eternal life. I understand what Jesus has done uh, to secure eternal life for those who believe in him. 
this particular mosaic is a reminder of trusting him. Whether it's trusting him in the storms of life, like or walking on the water like we see in the boat, or it's trusting him uh, in the necessities of life. For me, this has become the mosaic that kind of comes out of Luke chapter 9, the feeding of the 5,000. Following this, we see Peter confessing that Jesus is the Christ. Let me move this this up to the top of the page and we talked about what is our confession. Do we confess Jesus as our Savior? It's a, it's a profession. It's a con- confession. It's kind of kind of both of those things. And uh, uh, Peter said in verse twenty, "You're the Christ of God, the Messiah of God." And uh, from there, we go into Jesus foretelling his death, and, and they don't get this. They don't understand it. He talks to them then about taking up the cross and following Jesus, and this this is where we left off yesterday. Um, and I will pick up here in this section and kind of do a little bit of review with us. Uh, Jesus foretells his death. He warned them. He strictly warned them not to tell anyone. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, must be killed on the third day, raised to life. They couldn't understand it because they thought he was coming for political purposes. We talked about this yesterday. Uh, but he tells them, you cannot have much more plain language than this, what's going to happen. Uh, the suffering, the rejection, the death, the uh, and the resurrection, all within that one verse, Luke nine twenty two. He tells them exactly what's going to happen. Then he tells them, if anyone who come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I mean, we have a daily cross to bear. Uh, in many ways, sometimes it's the cross of self denial. Sometimes it's the cross of loss uh, as a result of following Christ, and and that that can be the case. Uh, other countries, other places in the world suffer this this loss uh, of persecution. Uh, so they deny themselves, well, I just want to not say too much because I, I want my life to be protected. Uh, no, this is uh, something that we have to think about. I mean, we, we don't have to lay down our lives for him all that often. I mean, so there's the cross of persecution. In fact, he, he picks up in verse 24, and he says this, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. And there would be those uh, martyrs through the millennia who have died because they were followers of Jesus. I mean, most of us uh, who listen partake and participate in these mornings, I mean, we didn't grow up in a Muslim situation where, or even a Jewish home, sometimes Jewish homes or Muslim homes will flat out, I mean, they'll have a funeral for you. Uh, they they will say that you're dead because you have turned from their faith and turned to Jesus. Uh, some people will, will flat out be persecuted. Their homes will be looted, their homes will be burned, their children and uh, spouses would be tortured, all because they're followers of Jesus. We don't see those things here in America 
very often. And so the call to follow Jesus is a call to bear a cross, the call to deny self, the call to lose our lives if, if we must, uh, the, the call to let go of what all this world says important and the call to make important in our lives the things that Jesus makes important. He says this in verse 25, for what good is it if a man gains the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self, his very soul? And this is a little bit of recap from yesterday. I, I like the word soul, but, you know, we, we, we can give it away. You, you, we've heard the, the phrase, the idea, the concept, you know, selling your soul to the devil. And sometimes, I mean, that can be what we do. We, we can sell out. Um, We'll, we'll sell out to somebody. You see this a lot of times in movies. How much will someone give up? Well, we read it in scripture as well. You know, uh, you can read it between the, in the narrative of Jacob and Esau and what Esau, Esau gave up his birthright for a little bit of bread or a little bit of stew, uh, a little bit of food uh, with Jacob. And uh, we sometimes will sell out our souls for certain things as well. And that's what we must guard against. He says, what good is it for a man if he gained the whole world and yet uh, forfeit his very own self? And sometimes we do that. We will forfeit self sometimes for a momentary pleasure. The text continues, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We talked about this already, this glory, but what about being ashamed of him? Um uh, Will we be ashamed? Paul, the Apostle Paul, said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I'm going to take us over there so, so we can take a look at it here. Romans 1, 16. Some of you might already know the verse. Great newsboys song about this. Paul says this in verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of salvation, uh, power for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for Jew, then for Gentile. I mean, it's the, the gospel has the power. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And yet we see the Lord Jesus challenging people back in Luke chapter 9 to, to not be ashamed of of the gospel. What about us? Are we ashamed? You might say, well, I, I'm not really ashamed, but when we have the chance to share it, do we take that chance? Do we take that opportunity to share the gospel? Uh, over the years, I failed way too many times at this. And uh, so, Lord, help us. Help us to not only be more bold, but just to be less busy. Sometimes it's busyness. I, I don't have time to stop and share this with somebody right now because I've got things to do, places to go. Lord, help us in our busyness. Help us in our bashfulness uh, to overcome that we might share you more freely with those who need to know about you. Now, we get down in the section that we had not looked at yet and the transfiguration. Uh, it says, about eight days after Jesus said all these things, he took Peter John and James, and this is where it says, some of you will see the Son of Man in his glory, the, the preceding verses. He took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. And Jesus, this is some, something Jesus did do, and something that I think would be good for us 
know, we talked about this yesterday, but, you know, to, to carve out some extra time to get away, to go, and to pray. It's a good thing. Uh, it says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flashing of light. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Now, I always wondered, I want to know, how did, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? That's what I want to know. It says they spoke about his departure, uh, which he was about to bring to, to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleeper, sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't even know what he was saying, really. I mean, it's like, this is a great place. Let's just stay here, Lord. That's sometimes what happens to us in our Christian life. We, we, we have a great experience, a mountaintop experience. We just want to stay there. Let's, let's camp right out here. Let's not go back to the realities of the world. And, and uh, we will see what Jesus says about this. But verse 33, let us put up three shoulders, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. One man tense, if you will. While he was still speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. They wanted to stay on the mountain. Sometimes that's what happens to us. Now, I, I do think some of us, maybe we need to create more mountaintop experiences for adults. Uh, you know, maybe it's mini retreats, you know, Friday, Saturday night retreats. Uh, and not where we're going to play volleyball and basketball, but where we're going to, uh, you know, maybe have some light food, some bread and some olive oil and, and, and maybe some, some form of fish. It'd be a wonderful thing on a Friday night. And, uh, We need to have some more getaways. I really think we do. Sometimes maybe just day trips, times to get away with, with Christians out of the, the the ordinary every day to encourage each other, but then also to, to say we're going to spend some extra time stopping somewhere and, and praying. Jesus, again, took them up the mountain. That wasn't an uncommon thing, but they, they had a very uncommon experience in this transfiguration where they saw, and I have to assume that, that as Jesus talked with Moses and talked with Elijah, he must have said their names, or maybe later on they asked who who were those men, and Jesus told them it was Moses and Elijah. But a glorious place. But what happened? They it came and it went, and they went back to the normalcy of life. Verse thirty six. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at the time what they had seen. Now, remember the words that were said in verse 35. This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. And they could hear the words. They could hear the voice, the voice coming from the cloud, the voice coming from heaven, the voice of the father saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. And they know what they're to do. Now, continuing the text, says, The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. 
I mean, apparently somebody knew where he'd gone up to the mountain. He'd only taken these few. Maybe the other disciples were waiting there, and a crowd had met those disciples, and they said, well, he went up to the mountain to pray, as he does. So a large crowd met him, and it says, a man man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Now, in our day, we would say, well, we know what this is. This is an epileptic seizure. Well, was it? Uh, Was this an epileptic seizure or was it more? Is it a healing or is it an exorcism? Um, Let's see. What happens in this text, and you can go back to Mark chapter 9 comparatively and see what Mark 9 says about this same passage. The man begged his disciples, heal him or drive it out, but they could not. And Jesus says, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. This rendering tells us that this is a demon throwing him to the boy. Now, I've talked about this before. Uh, I've talked about the fact that, I mean, we we know better now, right? (laughs) And I say that tongue-in-cheek. I say that with quotation marks around it. I, I, I do wonder sometimes how much of what we label as mental illness uh, or what we label as chemical illness, uh, like epilepsy. Sometimes I do wonder how much of it might be demonic in nature, especially on the mental emotional side. Uh, you know, we, we're smarter than the Bible, and so we have to give it labels. It's, it's epilepsy, and we know that there is a chemical factor with epilepsy. Um, but could it be demonic? Could some of what we see in people with mental illness be demonic? Or we've we've so uh, popularized things, psychologized things, so labeled things that we we don't think. And sometimes I've dealt with people and parents along the way that talk about uh, a loved one or a child, and I talk with the, with them. And I, the sense I have is that you know what this this is this is not something that they're going to treat. Because they've been trying to treat it for years. This is demonic in nature. Uh, and how do we discern those things? I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. You discern it through prayer. Uh, and as you pray, you, you see what happens. You trust God to, to do his work in the person's life uh, and see what happens. I have had a few occasions where we've come to find out that the person didn't have mental, emotional illness. They had a demonic influence upon them. And once we dealt with the demonic influence, their life, their life normalized. And uh, their life was better than it had ever been because the demons were, they were delivered from the demons. The, the, the demons were cast aside. Now, you have to ask the question, is this, is this a real thing? Not a real thing? What do we think about demons in our day? Um, what about demons? And, you know, that, that uh, just has me thinking that would be a very interesting ProQuest. ProQuest is uh, a place where dissertations and, and master's thesis are 
uh, are recorded and, and you can access them through something called ProQuest. I wonder if there's been writing about this uh, from a uh, uh, research vantage point. I mean, we can certainly take a, a biblical vantage point. Uh, there were demons in Jesus' day. There were demons in the time of the book of Acts. We read in the book of Revelation that there will be demons. So our conclusion is that there are demons today. Do we experience them? I, I, I believe that we do. Can we overcome them? I believe that we can. Uh, I believe that we do have the ability in the name of Jesus, by the work of Jesus, to rebuke the evil spirits. I do believe that. I believe we have to be careful in how we rebuke uh, evil spirits. I, I believe that we have to also be absolutely certain of who we are in Christ if you're going to deal with the demonic. Otherwise, you might just end up like the sons of Sceva, uh, S-C-E-V-A, uh, in the book of Acts, I can't tell you exactly where that's located right right at the moment, Sons of Sceva, book of Acts, um, who wanted to lean into the name of Jesus, but they themselves weren't following Jesus, and they, they ended up being attacked by this uh, demoniac and were beaten and bloodied and left running out naked. We need to be aware of who we are. But yes, we can deal with the demonic, but but it does, it's one of these, hmm, oops, bumped my microphone, so. Hmm, I wonder, is, could it be, could this situation be demonic in nature? Do we need to have people? I believe we do. I, you know, I, I believe church leaders need to know how to deal with the demonic. And there are several fantastic books written uh, about that. Neil Anderson was one who wrote some phenomenal books. I can't remember exactly the titles, but if you put in, uh, Overcoming the Darkness, I think, was one of the books. Uh, Neil Anderson, uh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, there were whole church groups of churches who were reading the Neil Anderson books because they wanted to understand, and, and not in some whacked out, everything is a demon kind of way, but how do we deal with the demonic? And good books, good writing, good authors, solid uh, uh, biblical research. Uh, and solid uh, stories about things that had happened in their ministry. Neil Anderson, Overcoming the Darkness. And it seems like there was at least a trilogy of books uh, that helped give insight in how Christians overcome darkness. Something very well worth looking into and checking out. Well, I'm not going to continue on. I guess we're going to have part five of this chapter, chapter nine of Luke. Um you might have people in your own family that are dealing with, with demons. And uh, so pray against the demons. Pray for the binding of the evens. Uh, the evens, I'm sorry, the demons. And uh, that's what happens when I start reading things that are around me on the screens. Pray that we'll have spiritual discernment to know what is uh, natural, physical, and to know what may be spiritual in nature. Lord, help us. Help us to understand the, the, the strength of that which is in the spiritual realm. Um, we live kind of uh, outside this fourth dimension of spirit. We talk about things being 3D when things are really 4D. Give us eyes to see into the spiritual realm to see how you are at work 
to see even how ministering angels may be at work, and then even to understand the, the ways of the demonic and the impact it can have upon friends and loved ones and churches and ministries and our, even our very own lives and help us to stand firm in Jesus. Lord, hear our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, everyone. Be strong in Jesus.